0: Well, uh, why don't you turn in your Bible to the book called Daniel, and we're starting a new series this morning. We'll pray uh, so that God will settle our hearts, and we're going to start in Daniel 1, Daniel, faithful in a broken world. Daniel 1. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll dive right in. Lord, Lord, we're so grateful that you've chosen to show us your goodness. We know That you are good because we see the evidence of it in our own lives. And when when we see families, we see your hand. And when we go out and the sun is shining on us, we see your hand. And when we eat, we see your hand. And when we lie down in peace and in rest, we see your hand. Lord, where are we going to go and hide from you honestly? If we go down to the depths, you're there. If we go up to the heavens, you're there. If we even hide behind the cleft of the rock, you're there. The evidence of your handiwork, is everywhere. But Lord, we want to see it more obvious in our own lives. And so we're here longing to grow in what it means to follow you, Jesus. So teach us, even through this ancient book and this ancient person and this ancient story, Lord, do something new in our day. Revive us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we're starting a series called... Uh, Daniel Faithful in a Broken World, and I don't have to remind you why the faithful in a broken world, because the world's broken. I don't have to remind you of how broken it is. Just read the headlines any day, and the top stories are just bad, worse, and I can't believe it happened. There are so many stories of brokenness. I'll just use one little sliver of an example. We're really living in the wake of events. For previous generations, it was, it was the world wars. Those of you who are a little older, you, and you remember what it was like, food rationing and trauma around the world. Well, you never leave that. The date is older, but you remember it. And then you, when we're looking at wars, those of you who grew up in the wake of uh, Vietnam or Korea and seeing our nation uh, at war with others and so many you know, sons and daughters who didn't come home. And you, the events pass, but, but you never really leave it. They mark you now. For us, most of us, unless you're a middle schooler, uh, you remember 9/11. We're living in a post-9/11 world. So for us, 18 years—it's hard to believe. 18 years ago, uh, New York's home for my wife and I, and I remember where I was speaking at an event in the mountains in California, and, and being a, awoken by my wife, who's like, "Have you looked at the news?" I'm like, "I'm I'm in the cabin in the middle of nowhere," and 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 the towers, and the tragedy, and now uh, we don't even think about terms like global terror because we just, we've gotten so used to it, and that's just one example, and it, it affects everyone. I'm flying out this afternoon, and there's a thing called the TSA, and long lines, and billions, if not by now, trillions of dollars spent because of events, and we live in the wake of it, and sometimes we just forget. Well, how do we follow Jesus in a broken world? I just gave one example with terror, but there are thousands of examples. What we want to do is think about what it means to be a Jesus follower in a culture that's increasingly leaving the church, increasingly leaving any Bible or godly values, increasingly doing their own thing, We live in a world that's going its own way and happy and not looking for solutions in God. And how do you and I choose to follow Jesus in that world, in your workplace? How do we honor Jesus in workplaces that don't and schools that don't? How do we talk about our faith in Jesus in an increasingly skeptical and antagonistic world where it used to be which church do you go to and now it's you go to what? How do we we follow Jesus and honor him? Well, the good news is God already told us how because he's worked in the past and he's working today. And so we're going to look at Daniel as kind of a template and a model. And so the plan is sometimes we go really slow. First Timothy, we went really slow. But because this is mostly narrative and story of what happened, if you would help me, if you come next week, which would be amazing if you did, Uh, read Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at one chapter a week and highlight something in there. So about 12 weeks and 12 chapters. And we're just going to start by reading Daniel uh, 1 and the first few verses. Look in your Bible, or if you didn't bring it, you can look on the screen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. This is a period in the life of a group called Israel called the exile. Exile. It's not a word that we use, but I want us to think about how this story starts. We're going to look at how to live a faithful life in a faithless world, but let's start with the shock We have our world wars in the wake of them. you got to think about what's happening. God gave this people this particular land and said, I'm giving it to you and to generations after you. There was a spot in this physical world that was marked for God's presence, so much so that God met with his people, hear me, in one place. You think, like, I I go with God wherever I go. Thank God for Jesus, because that's true. We now have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, wherever we go. Do you know if you wanted to meet with God, you went to one place? In all of planet Earth, God said, I'm going to meet you in my dwelling place, the temple at the center of Jerusalem. I've been there. It's the mountain of God where God meets with his people. And so the story of Daniel starts with a tragic event. In real time and space, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Here's the crazy part. The plot twist is in the first line. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar, who starts the story. This is a tragic story, and the writer of Daniel says God did it. God did it. God takes the king of his people in his land and says, I'm giving you into exile so God had been talking to this people, if you haven't read the kings and judges and the work of the prophets, God had been talking to these people about living faithful. God is faithful. We're called to live faithful. You want to know how to honor God? God's been faithful to you. You live faithful to him. And God laid out in his teaching, the Torah, how to live faithful to him and showed them the way and gave them grace. And they messed up and they messed up and they messed up and they messed up. And they got to a point in their life where they didn't even care. They didn't know where the Bible went. No one went to temple. Who cares? It's our land. We got our king. We have our life. We don't need you, God. We got ourselves there. Not that we've ever done that before. You started off and you had nothing and you needed God. Now you got there and now you don't need him. And now you begin to wonder if it was ever him or if it was all me. And this is the story of Daniel. When will we become these kind of people that forget the faithfulness of God and live for ourselves instead of for him, what happens is God warns us in the scriptures, real warnings. You say, man, does God still speak today? Read the book. He is warning all the time. I love you. I'm faithful. Will you just let me be faithful in your life? Because I know what's best. But we ignore him. Well, they got to the point where God had said, I'm going to send you away. You you know, if you're a parent, you know it. You say, look, why don't you come over here, come over here. No. Like they're two. And they say no. No, 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 we need to do this now. No. And then you go to the store. And the no becomes no. And everyone's looking. Right? And there comes a point where as a good parent, you say, well, let's go into timeout. It's time for you to not have your norm now, I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to love you. I'm going to give you hugs. everything's going to be okay. But for now, for the next 16 years, you are in your room, and you're going to do, you know, you, 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 pull, you pull them away because they're so out of whack, they're not even listening to the truth. Exile. God had kept faithful to this people for hundreds of years. And so he says, I'm sending you away for 70, 70 years complete cycle because your fathers and forefathers are so against me. I need to remove you from the land so that you'll call my name. And guess what? I'm going to bring you back. God is faithful. But this is the moment where things go bad. Israel as a nation was defeated. They sent to the temple. And what's worse is the the, the place where God dwells, this holy mountain, this foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, rips the articles meant for worship of God. And, and this is a tragedy. He puts them in the temple of his God. In other words, my God beats your God. This God of Israel, Yahweh, is a loser. So his articles now go and worship in my God's house. I don't think we can really grab that. We don't, we don't have that in our, just our cultural collective, but the, the closest thing I could think of is if you were there on 9-11, is if immediately after attacks, you're taken from America and you're brought to the Middle East and you stand before the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, who masterminds the thing, says, now I'm going to train you. You are now one of my soldiers. I I think that's the close, that's not, this doesn't even compare because this is like God's house, right? but I'm, I'm 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 trying to imagine you, Daniel and his friends are probably fifteen years old, sixteen years old they're just kids they're teenagers they're young stars The Bible says here they're the, as we're going to read they're good looking they're ready for service they're they're able, young men, and they're ripped out God, why, God, why now, God, why Babylon? why would you use this? wicked kingdom to take us down. And so often in life, we ask the same kind of questions. When trouble hits, when heartache hits, when you don't know what to do, we say, God, why have you done this? And why are you blessing seemingly people who hate you? Why do the rich evil thrive and those who love you live in poverty? Why do those who are living against you get away with it? And those who are trying to honor you struggle. If you've ever asked those questions, read the line again. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Sometimes God does it. Here's what we're meant to read and know. At the beginning of Daniel, it's the key to unlocking the whole book. When things seem out of control, God is still in control. That's what you need to know. All of Daniel rests on the first few lines. When things are out of control, and they're out of control in his world, God is still in control. Now notice, brokenness, we're living in a broken world. It's not just generic and societal. It's personal. Look what happens next, verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz. What a name, right? Ashpenaz. Chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, in other words, good looking, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. So a whole list are brought, but here's just a few. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names, Now to Daniel, was the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And I had to rehearse that one like 10 times because that was like a tongue twister. But I nailed it. There you go. So when we look at tragedies, when we look at this kind of thing, I want us to catch the, this is beautiful. Daniel, wrapped up in the beginning of the story, is not just some ancient tale. It's about tragedy, 9-11, hell on earth. Followed by personal lives being changed. So we need to remember that we're not just living in a broken world, hear me, we're living in a world filled with broken people. It's not just like the world's broken or, man, I re- America is a mess. Not a- America's not in a mess. People who happen to live in America are in a mess. It's about people. We're struggling, not just the world. So in this case, Daniel, his friends, just teenagers, are ripped out from their homeland, shipped off to a foreign land, have to learn a foreign language, and here's the end game. After three years of reprogramming, they get the privilege to serve their enemy for the rest of their life. To not just be slaves, although they are, they they don't have a choice. Hey, you guys want in, or would you prefer death? There's no choice here. They're forced into this, but they're following God. And you know what their tale is? They're sons of God, and now you're going to serve an evil king for the rest of your life. You ever feel like, God, I love you, but why'd you put me in this spot? God, I, I want to honor you, but why'd you put me in this job? God, I love you, and I want, I want your world to crash into this world, but look where you put me, God. You can't do anything here. God, get me out. And sometimes God says, no, kid, I put you in. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your background. Remember, if you follow Jesus Christ, who did it? God did it. God leads his people. God's in control. We we have to never forget that. So in a real sense, Daniel begins with this thought as Jesus followers. We, now, today, are a people in exile. We're going to look at what exile means. Exile is pulled out of land, put in another land, and a time, and, and that's going to be restored, and we're going to be taken from that land and brought back into land of promise. And so if you're a Christian, you can say this is true of you. What's true of Daniel, literally, is figuratively true of you. You and I are now living... As God's sons and daughters, born anew by the Spirit of God, belong to Jesus Christ, but we're not living in the place we should be, which is God's presence as his children. Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you to where I am. The land of promise, God's eternal home. We're going to live with him forever, but for now we're in exile. We belong to him but we're under a foreign king. We follow his vision and values, but we live in a land that doesn't follow his vision and values. So you see the connection between us and Daniel. The names are different, the culture is different, but the experience is the same. So Daniel's thrust into a world just like our own. We're living, the Paul, uh, writing to the church in Philippi, says, live as citizens of heaven. Philippi was a Roman colony and it was it was Rome on display. It was a model city for the Roman Empire. And in a plan, words Paul says to so the Christians there, you live as citizens, not just of Philippi, live as citizens of God's space in this foreign city, in this broken world. You can live differently. As a matter of fact, you should live differently. That's God's plan for you. Now I, I'll admit, probably the worst person to talk about Daniel living in a foreign land. I work with Christians. Um, believe it or not, you got to love and follow Jesus to be on our staff. Ha ha. You know, like some people think, well, so I, I live in a bubble, sort of. Most of my hours are spent with Jesus followers and, and leaders like you, uh, but, but I also live in a neighborhood that's not altogether Jesus-loving, so I get it as well. But most of us spend, or most of you, I should say, spend your waking hours living in un-Jesus-like places, broken neighborhoods, broken homes, broken schools, broken jobs. And so how do we serve God in environments like this? The beauty is Daniel's gonna lead us on. Look at verse eight. Verse eight, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. I want to sketch this. Who put the king Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar? God did it. Who gives Daniel favor before the officials? God. So God's at work to get him out of the land, but God's at work in Daniel's life and in these brothers' lives in the land. God's at work. Verse 10, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king is gonna have my head because of you. Daniel, you don't wanna eat this king's food. You don't wanna c- eat what's come from his table. My my head's on the chopping block, not yours, buddy. But God's at work, he's got favor. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard, whose chief official appointed Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please underline the word, please. Daniel's not a rebel. Daniel's not standing up for his rights. He doesn't have any. Daniel's living as a citizen of heaven. And so he could say in a kind way, please test your servants for just 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Treat your servants in accordance with what you see. This is the beautiful way of living in a broken world. We don't have to act like broken people. But rather, with wisdom, Daniel says, can you give us a chance? So, verse 14, he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days... Look what happens. They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. How do we live for Jesus in a culture that does not? How do we we live this out? Daniel, for whatever reason, figures out there's some things he's going to say yes to and some things he's going to say no to. And I want to suggest, as we just start, today we're just teasing it out, we're setting a foundation. I want to see that there's two things at least we need to consider right here from Daniel 1. Number one, we are called to say yes to certain things. There are some things you and I are called to say yes to. Now, it's always easier to start with the negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's called parenting 101. Like, don't do anything. Don't touch it. Don't, don't, don't. But rather, Daniel starts with the positive. What are the things that he's called to do? This is going to be tricky. I think the first thing is quite obvious. Daniel says yes to his new education. He's already educated in the Torah. He knows the Bible. He's one of the young leaders. Nebuchadnezzar is smart. You take the cream of the crop, you reprogram them, and the sheep follow the shepherds. If he can get Daniel and these other key leaders in the ways of Babylon, what's going to happen is the younger ones are going to look up to Daniel, who come from the land of Israel, but they're going to become Babylonians because we all look up to those who wear cool shoes, right? Isn't that the truth? It's a marketing 101. You get a celebrity to wear your shoe, and it's like, wow, man, that shoe's amazing because that person's amazing. And so Dale and his three friends are now not just going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be on display. Examples of what a good Israeli should look like, which actually... Is a good Babylonian. What's the first thing he says yes to? His education. You know what this means? Daniel, as a follower of Yahweh, learns Babylonian divination, incantations, spells. Harry Potter. He learns the, the Babylonian. They have dark magic arts. Guess what? The sorcerers in Babylon now train. Daniel and his buddies in how to work the gods and how to work the magic. And Daniel learns it. Doesn't mean he uses it, but he learns it. Let me ask a loaded question. What does that mean about our education today? What does it mean as a Jesus follower? Do we do public education where it doesn't necessarily, some things are in sync with the kingdom of God, some things are out of sync, some things are so blatantly against Jesus so do we, do, are, we, are we educated in a system that is not following Yahweh, not following Jesus? Do we go Christian school? Do we create an alternative? Do we go home school? And here's the answer. You decide. That's your decision. It's not my decision. But here's what we need to do through Daniel. We need to ask the right questions. And we need to avoid the extremes. Because no matter which way you go, Avoid the extremes. Now, one extreme is just take everything the culture has to offer. If it's out there and it's in a book with someone with a nice name and some letters after their name, it must be right. Well, that's foolish. Just read, like, science books from 50 years ago, and most of it's been corrected. And 50 years from now, it'll be corrected again. And so we've got to think critically. So one extreme is say, hey, just go there and, and love Jesus. Good luck. That doesn't help at all. The second extreme, and I think the more dangerous extreme in the church, is to avoid everything. So, what, what we need to do is citizens of heaven means a Christian bubble. Come on, bubble boys. Come on, bubble girls. We're going to go to our Christian concerts and our Christian cafes and wear our Christian t-shirts and all we're going to do is surround ourselves and you know what, those people out there, no, time out. Jesus said, I've come to avoid them. I'm I'm mocking our, our mindset that creeps in, hear me, subtly and in trying to do good, which is, you know what? Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is beautiful, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, think upon these things. Absolutely true. Avoid even the stain of corruption. Absolutely true. At the same token, bad company will corrupt corrupt good morals. Absolutely true. What we find in Daniel is this delicate balance, almost a dance. He's able to be educated in quote-unquote the world, but the world not influence him and pull him away, here's how we know it. He kindly asks the person in charge respectfully, hey, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't have this, which is interesting. What else does he say yes to? Daniel says yes to his job and his new name. Um, he's going to be given a new job. He had a career path as a young Hebrew boy, but now he's been ripped and thrown into something new. And and his end game is to serve the king of Babylon, which is like a long-term sentence for a young Hebrew boy. His life has been put in a terrible spot. Now I'm gonna represent the king? And so it's not like he can just get through school and fake it and then go do his own thing. He's He's gotta live this out. But Daniel says yes to this job and a name. Why? Because Daniel knows God is faithful. Daniel knows God's at work. Daniel knows the end of the story and he's acquainted with the prophetic writings when we get towards the end of Daniel. Daniel knows what the prophet said. Because of their rebellion, they would be removed from the land, exile for 70 years, but God's going to bring them back. So he can live as, I'm going to use this word, a Jesus follower. Because Daniel is 600 years before Jesus, but pulls us towards the coming of Jesus. And you're going to see these patterns between living as a Christian and Daniel living as follower of Yahweh. You're going to see the parallels. But I just want us to grab this. He's able to live in these times between the times by saying yes to some things and no to other things. Now your name meant something back then. So Nebuchadnezzar is really wise all of these Hebrew boys had Hebrew names which refer back to God. And so what he he does is he renames them and their new Babylonian names have hints of the Babylonian gods. Yeah, 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 follow Yahweh, but you're now going to be called Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Belteshazzar. You're going to carry our culture. Anytime someone calls you, you're one of us. You can't escape it. I feel like Vader's about to come. and Anyway, just, I felt the Star Wars reference right there. I, anyway, come to the dark side of the force. Um, but you, you're in. You have no choice. You have no choice. But Daniel doesn't resist his new name. That's interesting. So he's willing to say, okay, you're in charge. You can call me whatever you want to call me. And I feel the same way. You and I, we pay taxes to pay for things that we don't agree with, don't we? But the Bible says pay your taxes, coming up soon. Pay your taxes. Even, well I don't agree with the policies, pay anyway. As a Jesus follower, we say yes to some things. We vote for people even though we don't agree with the total platform. Try finding the perfect candidate. They don't exist. And so you're willing to say, I'm gonna lean towards this person even though they don't carry Jesus's vision and values. But yet we vote. You see, Daniel doesn't avoid his world. He participates through God in his world. And we work for companies that don't embrace Jesus's values. Most of us work for companies that the bottom line is not Jesus's bottom line. And the way of doing business is in not in line with the way of Jesus. And yet we're called to live there. And so does Daniel. So can't you see this is going to be such a helpful conversation about faith in the real world. So we say yes to something. Secondly, we say no to other things. We are called to say no. So Daniel and his friends, what do they say no to? The king's food, which seems like really small to us. They're like, well, I don't like what they serve at my job anyway. I wouldn't eat there. <laughs> you know, I work on the east side. I find food carts. I don't care. Yeah, I don't. No, this is about more than that. Why do they say no? Some suggest it's because the food wasn't kosher. It wasn't cleaned properly and cared for properly. Maybe. But then he says they didn't drink their wine and wine wasn't kosher and kosher. And then others suggest, well, it's because it may have been sacrificed to idols. Well, what what's the whole wine bit? They don't drink their wine or eat their food. I think it's bigger than that. I want to suggest, and I think some other scholars suggest too, it has to do with allegiance and who's providing. You see, in order to become young men fit for the king, the king says, you eat my food. I feed you. I give you drink. You're eating from my table. You belong to me. And in a subtle way, and they only say, give us 10 days. Test it. We're going to rely on God. And you know what? God could do more with vegetables and water than the king's fatted calf and wine. And the king thinks I need to eat and drink this to become strong and serve him. No, we can serve better on broccoli, right? Kale will do it. Don't you worry, folks. Asparagus is the way. And then they say, like, we're just going to have, I don't know if they had any of that, okay? I I don't know. I don't know what they had. Lots of hummus. I would suggest lots of hummus. But they say no. They say no to to the food, and it's a matter of trust. And in the end, what does God do? God shows himself strong. But I want us to sit for a moment in how. And I want to be really careful, because there are times when enough is enough, and I get that. How do they approach? They recognize the authority of the leader put over them. And they humbly say, Please give us a chance. And when that leader says, You don't understand, man, my neck is on the line, please give us 10 days. And God's favor was on their leader and graced them so that at the end of the 10 days, he saw that they were better and fit to serve. So you don't see them yelling at anyone, they're kind, they're thoughtful. Daniel's not ranting on social media about the evils of the kitchen in Babylon. He's not riling. He's not forwarding those idiotic videos. You know the ones that you may be posting? He's not interested in playing games and making a point. He's interested in serving the king like God would. See, Daniel is going to live faithful to serve the enemy king as a child of the true king. And that is the way to live as a Christian in today's world. Verse 17, we're almost done. To these four young men, look at this. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, he could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, at the end of three years, the chief official presents them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. So the king comes inspect what I'm assuming is hundreds, maybe thousands of young men. And look what happens here. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they enter the king's service. And in every, underline it, Every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better. There is nothing worse than a slothful, lazy Christian in the workplace. Shows up late, unprepared, unconcerned. Daniel and these boys are the best of the best. Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we started. We started with hell on earth. 9-11. Exile. Temple. Ransacked. But it quickly turns. By the end of chapter one you realize God led Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave favor with Daniel and his friends in this tough situation. And in the end, God graces them in the sight of the king himself. These four are the best in the whole kingdom. I think of that one line. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. So God's working not only in the generic sense. You know, it's easy for us to say, you know, God's at work. I don't understand. But I, I just know. And we almost say it like fate, Right? Whatever's gonna happen gonna have uh, is gonna happen. No. It doesn't just all work out. Daniel does the right thing. Daniel positions himself by being faithful to God. Daniel says yes, but he also says no. Daniel lives as a citizen of heaven and God's favors on his life. So anything that's gonna happen just doesn't happen. It's not just all written in the cards. Yet, there are things that God is doing that we don't know about, so we trust God. God is faithful. We respond with faithfulness. God is at work in this world, and God's at work in his people, and God can multiply a different diet to set up Daniel to serve the king, which is why we're starting this right after Seek 21. What? Wait, Jose, you kind of messed up. Shouldn't you have waited to do the fast to match up with Daniel? No. We did seek 21 to position ourselves to give us three weeks to prepare our hearts to live like Jesus' people. Dale decided, I'm going to eat different so I can live different. And you know what I've found in my own experience? I can think better, hear from the Spirit better, act more like Jesus better with less food. Now, this is not about eating less. Don't miss the point. The point is when I say yes to the right thing, God will honor me and set me up. So Daniel, the last line, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is so good. you got to read it carefully. you got to read it again and again and again. That one little line is like a throwaway. Oh, yeah. So in, in the beginning, hell broke out on earth. And at the end, Daniel's there until the King Cyrus, which you don't realize... Is Cyrus is the tipping point? Nebuchadnezzar is gonna leave, but as we read on, kings come and go, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna die. Daniel's still there. Cyrus is gonna be the one used by God to turn it around. And God is gonna to touch Cyrus's heart to send the people back to Israel. And what we get in chapter one is this great faithful God raises up some young people like Daniel who see the whole thing. Daniel's there the whole time. Nebuchadnezzar could be godless, but he comes and he's gone. But if you remain faithful to God, you can leave a legacy forever. And Daniel does. Daniel's there for the whole time of exile, and he gets hints of God about to send his people back. Daniel, through faith and faithfulness, sees God's hand in a broken world. And I'm praying the same will happen for you, that you and I will learn to live like Jesus, that we'll learn to listen to the voice of Jesus, that we'll say no to the work of the enemy, we'll say no to compromise, we'll say no to the kingdoms of this world, but we'll say yes to the right things. We won't avoid this world. We'll live in it, but not of it. We'll live like citizens of heaven. We'll be active, we'll be engaged, we'll be at every level of society. We'll be on the bottom sweeping the floors. We'll be in the White House. We'll be everywhere in between and we'll live for Jesus and serve the king and honor him and at the right moments when tragedy is about to strike, God will raise you up to speak to a situation. And in temptation, other people will see you honor God and they'll say, what in the world is it about this man or this woman and what makes them different? And you'll be able to say it's Jesus. But you know what? None of it's possible if you don't show up and Daniel shows up. So to to respond, a couple of questions. What does it look like for you to live like God is in control of your broken world? Let's just start there. What would it look like for you to to live faithful to God, right? Like like God's in control. Because if we live under the illusion that we're in control, we're already defeated. Daniel's not in control of anything. Under Nebuchadnezzar, under these chief teachers. But in time, God's gonna raise Daniel up to a position of influence. We're not in control. You're not in control. How many days do you get? I have no idea. I had my good friend, uh, some of you saw my post, who suddenly died just on Friday. Got news Saturday morning. Beautiful young guy, loved Jesus, faithful to him, gone in a moment. And the same could happen for any of us. You don't know your future. God knows your future. God is faithful. I respond with faithfulness. Not fear, hear me. Not fear, faithfulness. God, if you give me tomorrow, I'm going to live for you. God, you saw what I did this week. I haven't been faithful, but your grace is sufficient, Jesus. Died and rose again to set me free. His perfection can take care of my failure. His blood can take care of my sin. He's alive, therefore his life is now living in me. I choose to receive the grace of God and to get up and keep going. I'm not gonna give up on you, Jesus, even though I fail. You are faithful, faithful. Man, if if following Jesus was only about us living faithful, I am out. (laughs) I tap out fast. But if following Jesus is all about Him being faithful, and then becoming under His faithfulness and saying, "God, help me, grace, 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 so that I can live more like Jesus," then that—that's worth living and dying for. Second question: How do you need to say yes to engage in your world? I think so often we looking at how do we can avoid it. God, I want to work at a church. Why? Because I want to work with Christians. And funny, I'm praying. God I don't want to work for a church because I'm tired of working with Christians I love them but that's not why we're here we're not here to be with just us we're here to be salt and light and to live in God's world and I'm looking for more opportunities to get out there and you're looking for more opportunities to get in here and God's laughing at both of us he's laughing at all of us he's like hey just follow me wherever I put you follow me Wherever I, where do you need to say yes? And where do you need to say no? Where do you need to put the line in the sand and say, that sounds exciting, but I actually follow Jesus. And laughter will come, and mocking will come, and Daniel will be thrown to his death because he chooses to pray to a God that they cannot see. So I'm not saying it's all gonna work out sweet and dandy and lovely. You could be thrown out but even in that, God's faithful. And he shuts the mouth, of ma- the mouth of the lion. And Daniel comes out and freaks out everybody. Oh, the, the lion must be dead in there. No, they throw the others in and they're devoured. God's faith, even when we're not. Well, if you want to lean in on this Jesus who's faithful, I want to invite you to stand on stand your feet. And let's now choose to... Come to Him. In a moment, when Brandon opens up the tables, we're gonna see people step into the faithfulness of God and be baptized in water. In the water, the old life is gone. Up out of the water, washed and made new because of Jesus. Maybe it's time to step into the water and recognize God's faithfulness because you've chosen to fo- chosen to follow Him, but you've not yet been baptized. You've not yet identified publicly, I'm one of His. Daniel stood up and he stood out. Maybe today's your day, I don't know. Maybe you just need to start following Him. You're like, Jose, this is great. I'm not even following Him. Hey, today's the day. When's the day to come close and follow this Jesus? Today. Why? Tomorrow's a gift. You can't count on But you've got today. So why not say, Jesus, today, I'm choosing to follow you. If you do that this morning, all I want you to do is when we release people, go over and say, today, I said yes to follow Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to go into the water and let this whole church know I belong to him. Lord, there's none faithful like you. So even though it seems like the world's crashing in and it's getting worse and I don't know if your hand's on America anymore. We're not worried about such matters. Lord, we wanna know if we're living under the covering of your hand. And since we are because of Jesus, we wanna live faithful where are you place us in school, at work, in our neighborhoods, with people we know and people we have yet to meet. We wanna live faithful lives. And we're gonna trust you for the rest. This world belongs to you. So we sing songs of praise to the only God who creates and sustains. We sing songs of praise to Jesus. In his name we pray.